Back in the late 1980s, I started to think that there was something about our family that was attracting vehicles to collide with the home that we lived in. My first and only other church was in Burt's Corner, New Brunswick. And on one summer evening in 1987, my wife was out for the evening and I had just put our two-year-old Brittany to bed. And then the house shook and went into immediate darkness. And I went outside and a car had run right into where our power box was and torn the electricity from our house. And the engine was still warm, so I thought, Maybe somebody had been drinking and and they lost control of their car and they've run off and I looked around, didn't see anybody. And then when I slowed down long enough, I actually recognized the vehicle. I said, well, that's over at the house across the road all the time. And one of the brothers over there dealt drugs, so I knew that's what this guy was there doing. So I went across the road and knocked on the door, found out what had happened, and we made an arrangement with that. But he had parked his car, left it in neutral, forgot to put the parking brake on, it just coasted across the road, down our driveway, and boom, into the end of the house. And then we moved here in November of 1988, and we had our welcome to Halifax moment in January of 1989. My wife was out for the evening. This seems to be a constant theme here, although it never happened that often. And our three-and-a-half-year-old Brittany was sitting on the sofa in the family room against an inside wall. The family room is on the same level as Farnham Gate Road. We, We live right next door, by the way. And then I was up in the kitchen feeding our 10 month old Shannon. And there was this crash. The house shook. And... I looked down the stairwell at Brittany, and she goes, a truck just ran through our house. Now, it it wasn't a truck. It was a Jeep Cherokee, and it didn't run through the house. It knocked the wall in this far by the door. And by the time I got downstairs uh, to see what had happened, there was this petrified face of a man sticking through the hole. Is everybody okay? So he had parked his vehicle up by Grace Chapel, and... Just as he slammed the door, the vehicle slipped out of park, and he chased it down the street uh, and tried to stop it, which he couldn't. But everything worked out okay. But I was pretty impressed with my three-and-a-half-year-old and the way she responded in a time of crisis. She didn't go around the house screaming, the house is going to fall apart, the house is going to fall apart. She just very coolly said, a truck ran through our house. Now, my question for you today is, how do you respond in times of crisis? Because how you respond in that setting reveals a lot about your character. There ought to be an intensity about your spiritual life that's undeniable and unashamed. And one of the ways that this is reflected isn't just when a jeep runs into your house, when there's a catastrophe like that, but it's reflected in the everyday, mundane aspects of your life. How are you going to respond in that? So today we're looking at a passage in Colossians chapter 3, which talks about the level of intensity that we need to have. And it begins with a place that we're all quite familiar with, and that is our workplace, because some of you spend 40-plus hours there each week. So how do you serve And how do you work? So first of all, 
looking at intensity in the workplace, we have to understand that employees should serve well. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says, Slaves, obey your masters in all things. Do not obey just when they are watching you to gain their favor, but serve them honestly because you respect the Lord. Now, when we see that word slave, that's not the connotation we think of that has taken place in the previous century. This is different. The relationship of a slave and a master in Bible times was often almost as close as a family member. And slaves would oftentimes eat at the table with the family while people that had been hired and other servants weren't allowed to have that luxury. So there was to be an appreciation. And there was also supposed to be on the part of the slave or the worker a passion to serve and work hard. So that's where we begin. Employees should serve well. When the heat's on, when the pressure is intense, who, what do your co-workers observe about you? Is your faith evident? Like Paul says, don't just do it when your boss is watching, but do it all the time. Now, we have security and surveillance cameras around, and a lot of times in offices, it's not security for the public, but it's to keep an eye on what the employees are doing to make certain that when the boss is away, that they're motivated to still work diligently. There's a story about three boys who were bragging about their dads. And one boy boasted, my dad can shoot a bow and arrow, and he can actually run faster than that arrow. And then another little guy said, well, that's nothing. My dad can take a rifle, he can shoot a deer, And before that deer hits the ground, he's there to catch the deer. And then another little guy goes, well, I got a bigger one for you. My dad gets off work at 5 o'clock every day, and he's home at 4.30. That's how fast he is. So we love to brag about our fathers. I used to brag about my dad's strength. Some of you have met my father. Few of you worked with him on our renovation project here. He actually is the strongest man in the world, or was. He passed away a few years ago. But anyway, enough of that. So as a Christian, you should be distinctive, and you enhance your witness when you work with all your heart. So that means you don't steal items from work. It means that during busy times, you're going to say, well, even though that's not in my resume, I'm going to help others that need some assistance with their job. It means that you will show up on time. It means that you will be honest in your expense reporting. And get this one. You also will stay focused on your job rather than wasting time on Facebook developing a set of four Greg Valentine's Day cards. (laughs) Now, some of you are wondering, why did some people find that so funny? If you're a Facebook follower of us, this week on a storm day, James, our associate, he did this elaborate thing about me. He made up four Valentine's Day cards and posted them on Facebook. One of them was, my love for you is like Greg's love for PEI. And there's a picture of the bridge to PEI and a few others. Anyway... (laughs) So you just do everything with excellence. Colossians uh, 3, verse 23. In all the work you were doing, work the best you can 
Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So you need to see your job as a partnership with God. It's a ministry. It's not just a job. Myron Rush, in his book, Lord of the Marketplace, wrote this. He said, Satan's immaculate deception is that we send some people into full-time Christian work and that others are merely spectator Christians. And nothing is further from the truth. Paul is telling us in this passage that servants, employees, are to work for their employers as if they were working for the Lord. It means that we're going to stop worrying that we're spending a major portion of our day not being able to do any work for God because we're at work. But we can focus on God and doing what would please Him while we are on that job. So remind yourself on the way to work each week that you work for the Lord, not for your immediate supervisor, it's not for your CEO, but it's for the Lord Himself. And here's a question. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving, or are you just there for a paycheck? In verse 25, Paul continues, But remember that anyone who does wrong will be punished for that wrong, and the Lord treats everyone the same. So you get what you deserve. If you don't work hard, then you're going to be passed over for promotions. You're going to be ignored when it comes time for raises and and that type of thing. If you're not willing to serve your boss in that way, then he's not going to treat you with respect in return. And don't try to take advantage of a Christian employer. I heard about a man who was let go by his boss. Both of them were Christians, and they were both in the same church. And the man was just horrible at work. But they were sitting across the table from one another, and the employee, when he was let go, he looked at across the table and he said, and I thought you were a Christian. And the, um, the employer said, it was so hard for me to not say anything, but all I wanted to do was just look back at him and say, and I thought you were a salesman. But if you are to work with intensity, then that means you take seriously and put your best foot forward. So it's not just employees serving well, but employers must lead well. So now we're in the fourth chapter in the first verse. Masters, give what is good and fair to your slaves. Remember that you have a master in heaven. So if you're a boss or if you manage employees, here are four things that I hope you can give as a gift to your employees. Fair wages. Like Make certain that you give your best to them, that it's adequate. And then secondly, provide a good work environment where the setting is conducive for work to take place. And then the third thing is timely communication. Like keep them informed so that they feel as if they have some ownership in the organization. And then provide godly leadership because they're not going to see that in most of the world. And they need to see that from you. So if God has placed you in a position of leadership, of authority over others, then your goal should be to lead in a godly fashion with integrity and equality in such a way that other people will take note of it. So help 
your employees recognize that there are some things in life that are even more important than their job, and that is a relationship with the Lord. And don't grind them into the ground with long hours that rob them of family time or personal life. And at the same time, make sure that they're diligent about their job and putting their best foot forward. Understand that God didn't place you on this earth just to make a living. He placed you here to make a difference, to pour yourself into your job as a ministry. And that goes for the employers. It goes for the employees. And not only is our daily work to be lived with intensity, but our relationship with those around us should be one of witnessing or sharing our faith. And and that's the second point I want to see here. It's witnessing with intensity. Now, Paul kind of goes through a transition as he moves into this fourth chapter here. And in verse 2, he says, Continue praying, keeping alert, and always thanking God. Also pray for us that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. Pray that we can preach the secret that God has made known about Christ. This is why I am in prison. So one of the ways that we witness is through prayer. And when we are wanting to reach somebody, we need to realize that it's going to be through persistence and it's going to be through fervor in our prayers As we read through church history, we see that every great revival that took place in the church was accompanied by an amazing time of prayer. And three different times in these two verses, Paul calls on the church of Colossae to pray. He challenges them to pray so that they would be open vehicles for God, so that they could go out and open doors and have chances to share their faith with others. And we should Pray the exact same thing, that we would be vehicles used for God to reach out and share our faith with others. Dieter Zander puts it this way by saying, and you've probably heard this before, but we ought to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. So if you want to witness, it begins with praying, not preaching. Back in 2001, there was a group of eight Christian workers with Shelter Now International based out of Germany, and they were arrested by the Taliban in Afghanistan, and they were actually imprisoned for three months, but they were heroically freed. And two of the women, Dana Curry and Heather Mercer, were Americans. The other six were Germans. And when they were sitting in those jail cells, had to remind them of the Apostle Paul and his friend Silas when they were in prison because this group, they were singing songs, they were giving praise to God, they were praying for the opportunity to share their faith with the different people that were in the jail. Even in prison, their faith remained loyal to God and their story spread like wildfire and the seeds of the gospel were planted in the hearts of millions. Now, here's what Heather Mercer said in the the TV interview. The moments when I was particularly most afraid, all I could do was cry out to God and say, come and help me. You're the only one who can get me through. And I tell you, he never left me. The moment when I was most afraid is when he came nearest to me. During the bombing, I slept under a bed most of the time but I felt his presence like I've never felt it before. Through faith in him, I felt I could come out victorious. 
Like, when was the last time that you cried out to God? Like, I wonder how often our prayers communicate, Lord, you're the only one that can get me through this. And when our prayers express that level of intensity, we feel God's presence. See, what would happen to us if with the same deliberate and intentional witness, we were to pray with that type of passion? A faith so intense that your passion for spreading the gospel is constant. And even if you were in a Taliban-controlled prison, you would be praying and you would be singing songs and you would be sharing your faith even though you wondered if this day was going to be your last one upon this earth. So in the fourth verse, Paul said, pray that I can speak in a way that will be made clear as I should. So here's Paul, perhaps the greatest theologian, the greatest evangelist, and he's asking for this cover of prayer to be over him. He needed this. He wanted to have someone cover him in that way so that he wouldn't say the wrong thing. So he speaks about this in Ephesians 6. Also pray for me that when I speak, God will give me words so that I can tell the secret of the good news without fear. I have been sent to preach this good news, and I am doing that now here in prison. Pray that when I preach the good news, I will speak without fear as I should. But when it comes to sharing your faith, it's not so much a question of how much you know, how much you've studied, but it's a question of how much you've prayed. So maybe it begins with getting down on your knees and praying to God. Like prior to that nice sign that we see out in front of our church building, we had what I thought at the time was a nice, funny color of blue. It was a sign that you could change the letters on and it would light up at night. And the, the junior people here finally talked me out of the sign, and we've got this nice new one. But some of the messages we used to put on there were neat. And back when email first came into play, I put on there, God answers email. And that's so true. God answers. When we're down on our knees and we're talking to him, he will answer. The second way we witness is through how we live. And we pick this up in the fifth verse. Be wise in the way you act with people who are not believers, making the most of every opportunity. So Paul challenges the Christian community to be prudent, to be tactful, and to avoid antagonizing or alienating those who aren't believers. So the way we live our life should attract people to want to hear the gospel, That's why it says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. See, when bad things happen, the first place we should run to is God's word. And I wish that in my everyday life that I would be less concerned with what the people around me think, whether it's somebody sitting beside me on a plane, or maybe it's a neighbor, or a friend, or a relative. Are you on the lookout for these opportunities? Because the Apostle Paul said, make the most of every opportunity. So our lifestyle communicates to an unbelieving world what our priorities are. We pray for open doors, but then too many times we're walking around with our eyes closed. We say, God, open those doors. And then we 
don't even notice when he opens that door. And he's saying, I've opened it for you. Like, what more do you want? Back in Romans, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the good news because it is the power God uses to save everyone who believes, to save the Jews first and then to save non-Jews. So people will be more receptive to the gospel if I show an interest in them. If I, out of love and generosity, take care of some need that they have. But we live in a different culture than that. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, So we have been sent to speak for Christ. It is as if God is calling to you through us. We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. Now, other translations use the phrase ambassadors in there. We're referred to as ambassadors for Christ. But the trouble is, there are too many ambassadors that just want to hang out in the embassies, and they don't want to get out into the world and make a difference in their culture. They don't want to do this at their gym or club. They don't want to do it at parent-teacher events or in their neighborhood or maybe at their workplace or even in their own homes. We need to change the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can you intentionally share your faith in Jesus Christ with someone else? How could you be a witness for him? Like maybe it's volunteering at a pregnancy center or, or at the food bank or just something like that. Just taking the opportunity to touch lives for Jesus Christ. And then finally, you witness through what you say. Verse 6. When you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant so you will be able to answer everyone in the way you should. Now, the New International Translation says that our conversation should be seasoned with salt. Now, salt is used to to add flavor to things, but it also has a purpose of penetrating. So we are the salt of the earth and that God wants us to penetrate into this world with his word. But earlier in the passage, Paul challenges us as we do that to speak with clarity as we share the gospel. I spoke to one mother once who had recently moved into a new neighborhood, and she said it wasn't very long before my outgoing seven-year-old had made all these friends, and when his birthday came, I ended up having to invite ten children. And she said, uh, on the day of the party, the kids, like eight of the ten kids, gave her son a really thick wool sweater and she couldn't understand why all the kids parents bought those gifts so one day she got together with one of those mothers and she spoke about it and she was trying to see if she could get the receipt and maybe make an exchange and get something else and the other woman said well you told us to bring those sweaters and she left the house that day kind of puzzled and then she remembered because she said the party was going to take place in our basement, which wasn't heated, so it's always cold down there. So I just scribbled on each invitation, please have your child bring a warm sweater. So we have to be careful with the way that we choose our words. And sometimes equally important to what we say is how we choose to say it. 
So 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But respect Christ as the Holy Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have. But answer in a gentle way with respect. George Todman was one of the Germans who was amongst that group of detainees. And he told the New York Times this. He said, while I was in prison, we had so many discussions with our Afghan captors about faith. They would explain their faith to us. And then they would ask us questions about what we believe. And we shared constantly with them. The New York Times quoted him as saying, they drew strength from their faith in Jesus Christ. And we believed in him, Mr. Todman said. We have experienced his strength. And when we were reading the Bible, reading through the Psalms, it was so encouraging just to know that God is in control of our lives. And that is so true. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and he wants to be Lord over you. And those imprisoned Christians had such an intense faith. And we realize that intense times require intense Christianity. And if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you are to be looking for opportunities to share your faith with others, to invite them to church, to pray for them, to love them to the Lord, to run to God's word, to find all the answers for most difficult questions that we face. Sometimes I think that when you know that the message is wrapping up, it's easy for you to just kind of check out. We close our Bibles and we prepare to stand and sing and we think, I hope it's just two songs that we're going to sing and I hope communion doesn't take too long and that the associate pastor doesn't go on too long with the announcements so I can get out of here. But maybe we're saying, you're saying to yourself, you know, there are some areas that he touched on today that I really need to give some attention to but I don't want to make a big deal about it. Some of you might be thinking, I don't need the Lord. I'm doing quite well on my own, thank you. Or maybe you're saying, I don't need the church, but my priority is climbing the ladder of success. Please hear me when I say, you must yield your life to Jesus Christ, to his lordship. You have to make a big deal about it. A major step for you, is to have the intensity to fully surrender to his leading. Because the Bible says that one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So would you cry out to him for help? 